Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast, presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're talking about the Minnesota game. Um, this isn't going to be fun, to be honest. Oh, that's not true. Everything we do on this podcast is fun. And there are some fun... You just have to remember, Mike Sanford was doing a lot of what was happening with Minnesota. And so when we talk about how well they game planned and those sorts of things, just picture that, but in the reverse, when the Buffs head up to... Minnesota, what what city is the University of Minnesota in? I don't even know. Up to, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to Google it. Um, but, yeah, you know, 30 to 0, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I guess we might as well jump in. Oh, it's in Minneapolis. Huh. I th- That's what it says, at least. Maybe there's a different campus. Oh, the Twin Cities campus comprises locations in Minneapolis and Falcon Heights. Is that where the Gophers are? I don't even know. Gophers. Let's see. Gophers location. We love listening to me Google on this podcast. Yeah, they're in Minneapolis. Huh. Well, that's fun. Play at Huntington Bank Stadium. Wonder. Oh, that must be a bank. <laughs> For a second, I thought Huntington Bank was a guy. Just like an old-timey guy. But, um... That's some nonsense. There's no news to talk about. Oh, that's not true. Tad has won his first two basketball games with the U.S. national team. Well, U.S. U18 team. Very big difference. Um, They're down in Tijuana playing in the FIBA America's Cup. Um, No, America's Championship. Next up is the World Cup. I'm doing my best here. Um, But, like I said, they're they're 2-0. Their first game was yesterday. That was against the Dominican Republic. Won that 116-48, to 48, uh, and that turned out to be the uh, closer of the two games. This time, they beat uh, Ecuador 123-41. to 41. Actually, wait, that's not closer. No, that uh, there we go. Okay, there we go. I was right. It's a little bit less close today. Um, I'm not sure who the big competition is. I'd guess, like, Mexico's good. I bet Canada has a decent team. I bet they're down there. Um Brazil, I guess, has like a basketball history. It's a big country too. Who knows? Um, but I mean, the America America's basketball team should be beating the other basketball teams from around this part of the world or any other part of the world as well, and doing it easily. And that's what they're doing. So good for Tad, not embarrassing himself by losing to these teams. Um, into this Minnesota game. Uh, let's see. Where do we start? Um, let, let's just start with kind of the big recap. So, like I said, they lose 30-0, to zero, which sounds bad because it is bad. Um, but, you know, there were, 
they they went down twenty to zero with less than a minute left in the first half. You know, it was it was thirteen to zero for a lot of that game, and you're just waiting for them to break through because when it's a thirteen zero game, if you can just go get one touchdown, that would go a very 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 long way. That just didn't happen. Um, that like I said, they go up twenty to zero with uh, what is this? Twenty-three seconds left in the third quarter, um, and then things kind of just get ugly. Um, you know, on the next Minnesota drive, they punt, but Dimitri muffs it. Actually, his second muff of the game. This one, Minnesota recovers and uh, sets him up for a field goal. There gets him to twenty-three. Um, then they get a long drive where they just run the ball down the throats of a bunch of backup defenders for CU, and that gets them to 30. And in my mind, you know, that difference between 20 to 0 and 30 to 0 is probably bigger than it actually should be. You know, either one, you don't score points, and that's that's really the story here. But the defense, I think, again, when you see 30 points, it's easy to feel bad about what the defense did. You shouldn't feel that bad. You know, there were missed opportunities for Minnesota, too. There was a missed field goal in there, a couple missed field goals in there. Um, but there were also a bunch of three and outs. And they're going up against a good football team, um, potentially a better football team than Texas A&M. Uh, I think they they finished 9-4. and four. Yeah, they finished 9-4. and four. They, uh, they were 6-3 and three in the Big Ten. That's solid. That's a good football team. Um, but still, you know, would like to at least make it competitive at some point after the first quarter. I guess that's the other part. Zero zero through the first quarter. So I don't know. I don't know. That's uh not great. We're gonna get into some of the specifics. Um, I mean first snap goes over Brendan Lewis's head. We just gotta dig into just how s- shitty this team looked. Um first drive. The snap goes over Brennan Lewis's head. Uh, they wind up having a second and 20. Uh, it's a little check down screen pass. Yeah, more of a screen pass. They throw Fontenot in motion, winds up empty because of it, and uh, throw the ball to Fontenot. He picks up like four yards there. Probably would have been more, but the ball was thrown behind him. Um, third, third and 16. Real excited about that. Oh, sounds like my lasagna is ready to come out of the oven. Um, third and 16, they, uh, actually complete a decent pass to Brady. Um, it was a, it was a ball on the sideline at the sticks, a great catch from Brady, great through from Brendan holding on the backside, uh, replay the down. And now it's third and 26. They, uh, they hand the ball off to Alex Fontenot who gains one yard and Josh Watts punts on fourth and 25 from the Colorado 10. I'm going to go get that lasagna out real quick and pause this. Okay, I'm back. It's a really good-looking lasagna. Uh, really good-looking. Um, it also needs to, like, settle. So this is actually kind of perfect timing because we got, what, 15 minutes here? 20 minutes left here? Uh, yeah. I'm totally focused on the podcast, though. Um, so, yeah. I mean, just your your ideal start to the game. A solid 4th and 25 punt from your own 10. Um it was a 62-yard punt. 14-yard return kind of undoes some of that. But, yeah, uh, from there, a bit of a a settling in period. You know, I kind of, when I look at this game for the defense, first of all, it's a battle. 
You know, this isn't one of the times you look at what's happening and say, like, wow, this Colorado defense, they sure are good. They've got the edge here. This was a this is a competitive battle. And I probably come away I don't know. If you just look straight up at the football, like you probably think Colorado's defense ah, maybe you give the edge to the, the Minnesota offense. When you factor in things like play calling and just how smart those coaches are, then you probably give the edge to Minnesota. Um, but just on the field, down in, down out, the you you might give the edge to Colorado. It's tough. Um, but this first drive, I think that the Buffs really did need to settle in and, and just kind of realize what they were up against. You know, Daniel Falele, the right tackle there. He winds up. I think he's with the Ravens now, I believe. Um, but he's what six foot nine, four hundred pounds, just a massive guy. And those are the guys they recruit there. Now, obviously, not everybody's four hundred pounds, but that right guard lined up next to him, he was massive too. And there were other pretty big guys on that line. And I do think that you, it, it takes a second to be like, okay, this is what's happening here, especially when they're running all this power run stuff. They're running these RPOs. Um, you know, I mentioned this part of it yesterday. But it was their first pass of the game. Um, yeah, I believe that's the first pass of the game. Just just a beautiful RPO. This is coming after a five-yard run, a nine-yard run, a five-yard run. And then they, they again, it's an RPO. They don't call their first pass. Um, but the play that they run is two receivers on the left side. Pretty close together. It's not like your true typical splits out there. Um, outside receiver runs a slant. Inside receiver has a little outside release, pauses a little bit, gets up, feel a little bit, then runs a slant in behind him after he crosses. And again, that that play call maybe is the most exciting thing that comes out of this game for me. Um, and the reason is Mike Sanford is the Buffs offensive coordinator now. And the fact that he saw what the, the Buffs were running defensively, that cover one, and knew what knew how the defense is going to play and called this as the first time that the the pass was thrown. It's just beautiful because again, like the, to, to go into the details again, that cover one, the buffs run it's man across the board. You got a deep safety, you got a safety or a linebacker in the middle of the field. I don't know how many times I've said that on this podcast, but here it is again. Um, with the man across the board, what are you thinking? If you're Christian Gonzalez, if you're Christian Gonzalez, you're thinking, well, I've got help in the middle. I've got to get this guy in the middle. So you're not too afraid about giving things up inside. There's help inside. What you don't want to do is let him outside you. So when this guy's fighting the outside, fighting the outside, and then bang, is happy to go inside, that's that's where he has his advantage in that coverage. But because of the way you run the play, you're not getting that help. First of all, because you're far enough outside. But second of all, because you already ran somebody through there who's, who's mucking things up with Nate in the safety. So... Who knows? Maybe this is a coincidence that they ran this like staggered double slants look, but I would be very, very surprised if that was the case. That looks like just a perfect play call. I guess that's the other thing that you kind of look at here when you say, you know, Colorado's defense needs to settle into this game. Some of it probably is because I I'm not sure Minnesota's working off a script, but they do know which plays they think are really going to work against this Colorado team because they, they, Again, not a lot of tape, and we'll get into that part in a second, but based on what they've seen, 
they know what they want to run, and they come out and, and run the plays that they think are going to work best against this defense, and they do because that's what good coaches do because they come up with good game plans. And I think that that's something that will be very valuable for Colorado this season is just the the mental side. They will be the, 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 the offense will be put in much better situations than they were last year. And this is only one of the reasons why. Um, you know, we had a chance to talk to Mike Sanford a little bit about this game, basically saying, like, yeah, it was a really tough one because there wasn't a lot to go off of. And, again, there's some to go off of, for sure, from that A&M game. Um, but he was even saying, you know, we were looking back at the the spring game, you know, because that's on Pac-12 Network, trying to look at every angle we could find of that. You know, and they're cutting the interviews and stuff. It's getting in the way, but... We, do, we know that this this isn't the easiest game to game plan because it's a new quarterback. You don't know what they're going to run offensively. Um, but there, there's always pieces there, and they were able to do really well with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that was one of the things I wanted to touch on. Uh, winds up being a long drive. I mentioned they missed the field goal at the end. 11 plays, 52 yards, just kind of grinding, grinding, grinding. Um and then again, it turns into a bit of a chess match, where the the Buffs are willing to commit to the run game. I think that's kind of the big thing I saw. They're willing to commit to the run game. Um, that that cover one turned out more often than not when they're running the cover one, Nate's just focused on the run game. You know, they're taking one of those guys out of coverage. Um, yeah, uh, let's let's run through some more of these notes here. Um, let's stick with when they were on the field, when Minnesota was on the field. Um, just Guy is strong is the thing that I wrote in here. Looked really strong, Guy Thomas. Um, the the interior guys outside of Sami and Niam Rodman got pushed around a little bit, um, which, again, is not a huge surprise. Those are guys who hadn't gotten a lot of reps for the most part, um, and they're going up against this group in particular um oh there was another little pick play this is you know uh, so again when you watch these games you go back and watch you, you watch the play to see what happens then you watch the play again to actually like know what you're looking for and you wind up watching again and again after that because there's usually two or three things you want to look for um but the, the first time i saw this play so third and three it's an rpo um it's a little screen from the outside two receivers right one outside is coming inside, running up the line. Um, and when I saw what happened, I thought, oh, is this a call because they were in off coverage? And it wasn't in off coverage. Um, it was actually just a pure pick. Like, And, and the inside guy runs out and, and finds the corner and kind of blocks him a little bit. And I think it's actually a legal play since they're close to the line of scrimmage out there. But, you know, that is uh, just a pure kind of just block there and it works like they hit the other guy and he's open and he's able to pick up a decent gain and convert the the third down um and, and you do see that other stuff that i was looking for what i really wanted to see was it was just a quick read that they were in off coverage um and there was occasionally you'd see him run that little screen or something short underneath when there was off coverage um because that's the way the offense works you know it's quarterback intensive and, and that's something we've heard from the quarterbacks from the coaches um, with Mike Sanford coming over, that it is more quarterback intensive. And you see that in this game. You, you see that he, that, that the quarterback is flipping runs. You know, there's a run later in the game where 
it's a uh, they're in spread. This is the running back. Everybody else is lined up out wide. It flips the running back from the left to the right um, because he has leverage that way. It's a light box. He knows he's going to run. He says, this is where our angle's best. Bang. You know, it's it's going to be a challenge maybe for these quarterbacks to pick up on those sorts of things. But the fact that that's what they're doing, I think, is a really great sign. It's a really great sign. You know, when you watch this Minnesota offense, it's really hard to say anything about the coaches other than, wow. Wow, they look sharp. They look so sharp. And they're just doing so many smart things. And that's that's exciting. Um, but but we can move on from some of that stuff. Um, a couple other details. I mean, Chris Ottman Bell is a stud receiver. I just checked. He he decided to go back to school for a super senior season. Um he I believe he'd missed the first two games and then was healthy in time for this one, lucky for the buffs. There were some battles between him and Makai Blackman. Battles. You know, there was a pass interference that was called on Makai where it was a tight one. It was at the goal line. He kind of turned around, and I thought, like, maybe he can knock it away. And he got his hands on I thought he was going to pick it, honestly. But, um, you know, there's a couple plays where Makai makes a play on the ball. Um, watching those two go at it and talk to each other. I mean, that's high-level stuff. And... I think, I mean, Ottman Bell finished with a decent number of yards. Um, receiving four for 79. Yeah. Um, you know, it is interesting kind of going back through and watching these games. You know, those those receivers for AM, like they're not bad receivers, but they're not Chris Ottman Bell and they're not Drake London. And I'm curious to see what exactly Makai and Christian look like against those guys because my my working theory right now is that they are locked down against average receivers, and they can hold their own against these these Chris Ottman Bell type receivers. But against elite receivers, you know Drake London, you know that's just a battle they're gonna lose. Um, and I feel pretty good about that kind of being what the secondary was last year. Now losing those guys, can you get back to even that level this year? Probably not. You probably step down from there. You're probably Chris Ottman Bell this time around. I bet he does better than four for seventy nine, um, you know. And I don't think he's going for two hundred or anything. But I bet it's better than four for seventy nine. Um, although Nigel Bethel played well, he didn't play all that much. I was just looking. Yeah, he was only on the field for twelve snaps, but he uh, didn't give anything up. Was targeted twice and uh, finished with the best grade, Pro Football Focus grade on the team. Uh, he had an eighty. Two Chance Lytle had a seventy point three. Nate had a seventy three point eight. So by a wide margin. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I didn't see him get hurt. I'm curious though. Um, who? Chris Miller got beat by Ottman Bell. I guess that was probably the big one. I mean, that I think that one was like thirty three yards or something. Ottman Bell beat Chris Miller down the sideline. Um, kind of pushed off him at the end, and they probably could have called a hold uh, in the pocket as well, but. Is what it is. Tyron Taylor six snaps. Nico Reed four snaps. Those are guys coming in late. Um, it must have just been. I don't see where Chris Miller is. Chris Miller only played five snaps. Oh, because he got hurt on that play. Of course, because he got hurt on that play as well. Um, who is taking all these snaps? So Makai had sixty three snaps. Uh, did I miss? Oh yeah, Christian had sixty eight. There he is up at the top. Um, and then for corners. Bethel had 12. 
and Tyron Taylor at six. So yeah, I mean, I guess they were just heavy so much because that's of course. I mean that of course that's what it is. They were heavy so much because they're playing Minnesota. And and I mean because Minnesota puts extra linemen and tight ends and all that stuff out there. That's pretty crazy though, that your number three corner is only on the field for twelve snaps in a college football game. Just doesn't does not happen often at all. Um yeah, anything else from the Buffs defense? I Jalen Sami did great work. Um he was accused really plugging things up mostly, but there were a couple plays when they got in behind him even that he was chasing him down and I was like, wow, he, it's 50-50 that a defensive lineman is willing to run down the field and he's one of the guys who runs. So you have to give him props for that. Um, Terrence Lang, he he burst in the backfield a couple times. Guy Thomas, like I mentioned earlier, was kind of everywhere. Naim got in the backfield a lot. Like those, those are some good battles up front. I don't want you to think that they're just getting pushed around. Sami held his ground. Lang and Naim, like it was it was 50-50. You know, sometimes they were blowing into the backfield, sometimes they were holding their gap, sometimes they were getting blocked. Um, but those were some really good battles. Um, even even Justin Jackson, he stood out a couple times for for plays that he made. Um, I wonder what does the stat say about him? Played 18 snaps. They give him a stop. Yeah, he had the one stop. Um, so yeah, I think that that's probably most of it. Linebackers, um, Nate actually missed a couple tackles, but it was a great game still for him. Thirteen tackles, you don't see that very often. Uh, the the Pac-12 Network broadcast uh, cut uh, when they were talking about Nate to Noah Fenske sitting on the lo- on the sideline, put like the Nate stats up below. Noah Fenske, famously uh, the offensive lineman who wears number fifty three, not Nate Landman who wears number fifty three. So some great work there. As always, um, Tanner Morgan is going to be back this year. We're going to talk about the upcoming opponents later on, I guess. So we'll we'll dig into some more of that stuff there, um, like in a couple weeks. But yeah, I think we can leave it at that for the Buffs defense and get into the offense here in just a second. Real quick, though, Breckenridge Brewery is awesome, and they're doing something even more awesome right now. That is this. Uh, they want to help out people who have supported this community through a challenging year, and they want to do that by giving Avs tickets to a pair of community stars during the playoffs. Um, and they're doing this for the Stanley Cup Finals. It's going to be awesome. What you need to do is go to their website and nominate a stellar community member and an Avs fan who should get the chance to celebrate at a playoff game um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So definitely uh, definitely get in there. I know you know some good person. Throw their name in there. And remember to be drinking Avalanche Ales during this playoff run. Go to BrackBrew.com to nominate a community star and send them to an Avs playoff game. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook. We love DraftKings Sportsbook for a bunch of different reasons. They make it easy for us to make money, um, including on the Stanley Cup final. I guess we don't have the matchup yet. Um, especially now. So right now, the the Blues Rangers game just ended, um, and it's two two, the series. I'm so excited for the Avs. But I mean, you can bet on the NBA playoffs as well. There's another game there tomorrow night, and uh, you can actually bet five dollars on either team. You'll get hundred and fifty dollars in free bets 
It's an awesome promotion. You don't even have to get your bet right. It just happens instantly. You can even use those bets for other things that you want to bet on during that game. So definitely sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And uh, use the code DMVR because you can make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals. You'll get $150 in free bets instantly. It's promo code DMVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Lightshade Dispensary. They've uh, they've got a bunch of different locations around town now. The biggest, though, is the Barnum location. It's a block off of 6th and Federal. It is the biggest light shade store with specialty products that are not offered at other locations. Uh, they've got 11 total locations that are around Denver and Aurora. It really is your best option. They've got all the different cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, all that stuff. And they have one of the best in-store experiences of any dispensary. So definitely get in there. And remember that if you use that code DNVR, you can get 25% off all non-sale items. So take advantage of that as well. All right. Into the CU offense, which is going to be so fun. Um, I guess we kind of started it off early. Were we going to lead off with the offense? We might have been. Um, flip that later on, though. Um, there's a lot that went wrong. There's a lot that went wrong. I mean, there has to be, right? Uh, they, they just could not produce in any capacity. Um, but I think what was most disappointing was the running game. Um, again, let's, let's hit this big picture part first. And the big picture here is that this game was where reality really set in. Um, this is where you realize what this Colorado football team is. And and again, like you don't, it's they're not necessarily a team that loses every game thirty to zero, but you know that this offense is not good, and that it's pretty unlikely that it's going to turn around and be good. You know, if it winds up that that CU has an average offense after what you've seen through these first three games, you're very happy with that. And again, that that that's the change here. I think even before that. You could have not high hopes, but decently high hopes. You know, it's easy to look at that Northern Colorado game and say, yeah, they didn't score in the first quarter. And that sucks. And we wish that they would have, and they absolutely should against Northern Colorado. At the same time, it's a new quarterback. There's a lot of changing pieces. They finish with 35 points. It's whatever. Sure. Against Texas A&M, you're like, well, they only scored seven points. But also, it's an SEC defense. It's it's a game that was only decided by three points. You know, the game dictated that they only had that much. Like, they fit right into what was happening. And, yeah, it, it, those are excuses. They're excuses that could have made sense for a team that was decent um, offensively. But when you lose this game 30-0, to zero, you see this offense really struggle. That's when you realize this is not going to be a good offense. Um it's probably not even going to be league average. You don't know that it's going to be as bad as it as it was, but you start to see the signs that say this could be one of the worst power five offenses this season. Um, and so that's really disheartening. Um, let's talk about this running game. Let's talk about this running game. It was really bad. Um, at the end of the game, they finished with negative 19 rushing yards on 21 carries. 
you know, a, a lot of that is that there was there was four sacks. Those four sacks count as rush attempts, so those knock you down a little bit. Um, but I mean, it's not like things were great outside of that. You know, that that might have gotten him up to zero. Um, Jarek Broussard, five carries, eight yards. Alex Fontenot, three carries, four yards. Deion Smith, a carry for a yard. Ashad Clayton, two carries, lost four yards. Um, Drew Carter's your leading rusher, two carries for nine yards. So, not good, right? Really, really not good. Um, but they were put in tough positions. First of all, the running backs were. Um, and, and it was weird going back and watching because you you see it's a run play like you look like I said you know first watch you're like oh it's a run to the left oh and it didn't go well well let's hit that back button and see what happened it's like well wait this guy this guy got him well why didn't this guy block him it's like oh this guy's summons this guy and and you wind up counting all the defenders and realizing there's just more defenders than there are blockers you know there were times when the blockers blew up their assignments and that there were big mistakes but more often than not when these runs are getting stuffed you just look and say well, yeah, I mean, look, here's seven blockers, eight blockers, and here's, you know, eight guys who are playing defense or nine guys who are playing defense, and all of a sudden they have that advantage. This is just what happens. This is just what happens. And and they're able to defend like that because there isn't the threat of the passing game. And and I do think that in going back and watching this, you know, we talked about it a lot when Minnesota had the ball. Um, the idea that, you know, oh, look, it's a light box, we should run the ball. Like, oh, they've got six defenders, we've got five blockers, but guess what? We're going to leave this guy on the backside. We're going to leave Carson Wells on that edge totally unblocked, run the ball away from him so he's not even a part of the play, and all of a sudden it's five on five. Who knows? Maybe the first guy who gets to the running back, who's going to be eight yards downfield minimum, maybe the running back makes him miss too, and all of a sudden we've got a real big play. If not, this should be successful as long as everybody just does their job. So we're talking about that over there. On this side... Where it's kind of the opposite conversation, where they're running the ball without the numbers advantage, and you're asking the running back to 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 make somebody miss just to turn it into a four or five yard gain. And I mean, there's there's some of it you blame on coaching. You know, there there were absolutely plays where you know it's a stretch run to the weak side, which first of all I typically just hate those. You know, tight ends on the right, you're just trying to get outside on the left. But on top of that, when you're running to the left and the numbers don't make sense. The alignments don't make sense. The, the the assignments don't make sense. You know, the guard needs to get downfield to block this guy. So you have your center who's trying to reach out in front of this three technique, and your center's not athletic enough to get out in front of him. And on top of that, you wind up having your tackle, Jake Wiley, out there, blow the block on uh, whoever the defensive end is. And that one wasn't Boymoff on the play I'm thinking of. Um, but, you know, it's not to call out Jake Wiley in particular or Colby Purcell in particular, like, it was, there was nobody up front who really played well. You know, it was a tough showing across the board. Um, And occasionally you do look at the coaches, though, in those situations and say, like, how would that play have worked? How would it have worked? There's other times, like, when you're running into a box that's loaded, when you say, how would that have worked? But also, what's your other option? Throw the ball? We know what happens when you try to throw the ball. You know, the Brennan Lewis was 8 of 16 for 55 yards. There's that QBR that's like the, I think it only goes up to like 100, but he scored a 4.4 for the game on it. There just weren't a lot of options. Um, and it was a rough watch. It was a rough watch. 
Um, I think I, I did key in on the receivers in particular on these passing plays. There were some times where they came open. You know, there was one where there, here's a play for example. Um, I believe it's a third down. Actually, let me check my notes here. I'm sure I can find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was like the second second offensive ball. No, maybe the third. No, I think it's a second offensive drive. Um, third and seven. Just a big cover three defense. Brady lines up a tight end. So cover three, that means you got four guys across the, the middle of the field with three guys deep behind him. So it's four guys. Obviously, there's there's gaps in between them. One of those gaps is dead in the middle of the field. Um, Brady's running behind him. He's running about 10 yards downfield. It's a big dig route. And, uh, you know, those guys are sitting just a yard or two short of the sticks. So he's probably good five yards behind him. You see that he's going to come free as soon as he hits the middle of the field behind him. There's that gap in the middle. I think Brendan sees it too, um, but there's pressure, as there often was. He was pressured on 55% of his dropbacks. That's a ridiculously high number. Um, and, you know, he gets there's a the left tackle gets beat. I believe it's Jake. They might have flipped during the game in this one. I think they might have flipped during the game. Um, but, uh, you know, there's pressure off the left side. And, yeah, that was Phillip. I did put that in the notes because they did flip during the game. Um, and, you know, it means he has to move in and the guy's kind of there. And that's one where, like, if it's Patrick Mahomes, he's able to just kind of, like, sidearm whip one as he's moving in the pocket and fling it straight up the middle and it, it get to Brady and it'd be a first down. I don't know that there's a college quarterback who could have – who's even capable of making the throw that is needed there. Um, it probably takes just like one of the very best of the of the best. Um, but you do see that window. I think you could see him see that window as well. But there's pressure there, and then pressure comes from the other side, and you just can't get that throw off. Um, and he does a good job to extend the play as long as he did, but it, it's a punt. You wind up with the punt. So there's there's stuff like that where you see like, okay, the receiver was going to come open. There are also a lot of times where the receivers just were not going to come open, where everything was covered up. You know, there's a third down where there's a, a decent amount of pressure. Like it, it, it's the whatever two and a half second rule, get the ball out in two and a half seconds. Um, and he just has to check it down to Alex Fontenot. It's a third and eight. You pick up, or I think it might have been a third and 10, and you pick up eight, something like that. I think that's right. I th- the reason I think that's right is because I was going through the game log, checking some things. Um, here's a here's a fun little scenario. You gotta you gotta decide what what would you do in this situation. And I'll set the scene. Um, it's fourth and six. You're down thirteen to zero. There's two minutes and fifteen seconds left in the first half. So fourth and six, down thirteen to zero. Two two minutes and fifteen seconds. Here are your options. You can kick the field goal. It's a 56-yard field goal. You're at their 39. 56-yarder. Or you can punt the ball, again, from inside the opponent's 40-yard line. Or you can go for it on fourth and six and and see if you can pick it up. Now, obviously, like the, the big thing you're worried about here is if things don't go well, you could be setting up Minnesota with good field position. And that's why you would be scared to try the, the field goal. I would be scared to go for it. But the reason this came to mind here was because I was going back and counting. To that point, Colorado had run 25 offensive plays. Four of them had gained six yards or more. 21 of them had gained five yards or less. So when you're trying to decide here, you try the 56-yard field goal. 
Do you go for it on fourth and six, knowing that only four of your 25 plays so far have gained six yards? Do you Are you willing to take the boos that come along with punting from the 39? I there There's no right answer. And what Carl went with was we're going for it. They tried to throw. It was a sack. And they got lucky, honestly. Like, the defense stepped up, didn't give up any points before the half. Win halftime 13-0. But... I mean, that's just one of those situations where, you know, you talk about how smart the coaches look for Minnesota when you go back and watch what they were doing. It's like, yeah, I don't even know that CU's coaches had that option given what they were working with, you know? Like, I, I don't think there's a world in which you come out of that game thinking, wow, what a smart game. Especially because when you when you get to situations like this, you know, you can try a 56-yard field goal. And, what, there's a 20% chance it works? Maybe? And that cuts it to 10, which, again, you're still facing a double-digit deficit. You can punt the ball, and you're doing that. You're getting booed for that. Nobody's going to like that. You can try to pick it up, and it looks like a dumb decision to go for it on fourth and six when you're not picking things up. And, again, I, I think it is worth remembering that we're looking back at this with the hindsight of an entire season, where at that point they're probably thinking or at least hoping that they just need a spark get this offense going, then they're off and running. They're at least decent the rest of the year. Um, they don't know that this is a terrible offense. Although, to that point, again, 21 of 25 plays would not have picked up those six yards. So, I don't know. This is not a situation where coaches are oftentimes going to find a way to look smart. Um, what else do we have on the offense? You know, some more of those rollouts. You know, a couple decent throws. It's just that not nearly enough of them. You know, there's a lot where it's just like, uh, oh, there's a, a third down um, where one of my sister's college friends who I've never even heard of, just follow me. I'm headed out to Minnesota for graduation. Carleton, Carleton College. Maybe one of you has ever heard of that. I hadn't beforehand. Um, so, uh, but yeah, just a, uh, why did I say that in the middle of the sentence? But uh, yeah, he rolls out. It's a I write down. Oh, third and six. There we go. Third and six. Um, this is actually the play before that play we were talking about. I didn't realize when I started this, but uh, he rolls out. Penry's in the slot. Penry is is downfield. He's he's running an out route, and Brendan tries to throw the ball to him, and he just runs straight into some sort of zone defender, straight into him, gets crushed, just demolished pounded and uh then it leads to that fourth and six that came up but um just just things like that we're like ooh, i mean i get on fourth and six with this off or third and six with this offense like just let them try to to make a play i don't know but you also got him hit there were a couple of those who got hit usually brendan was getting hit too so it's tough to like talk too much shit to him about it um you know there was one play where uh he, uh, let's see, it is play action. No, it's not play action. That's why I made the note. It's not play action. It's just like a, an immediate bootleg to the right. So blocking to the right, you know, change things up. When they was getting a pass rush, change things up a little bit. Dimitri Stanley's in the slot. It's like a five-yard out route from the slot, and he has leverage. He has a, he has, I mean, the defender's probably reaching out and touching his back the whole time, but... Brendan did have a lane to just, you have to have to throw it in front of him. And I don't know if he didn't trust his arm to keep that ball in front of him. I don't know what it was, but he was unwilling to throw it. 
and winds up throwing it away from the sideline. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's one where you do need to give him a chance. Maybe not so much on the Penry one. There, there were other plays where, you know, there's a big dig route, in route from, from Dimitri in the slot. He's coming across the middle. Looks like he's about to cross this guy. And, and at the last second, you can see Brendan see another zone defender kind of cheating over, getting ready to make a play, holds the ball, winds up forcing it to somebody else. But I think it was Arias, and he had position, kind of boxed him out, couldn't bring the ball in. He had... He had, uh, actually, wait, that might not have been, no, it was Dimitri. I, this is a bad note. I said it was Dimitri crossing. It must not have been because I could swear it was Dimitri in the, in the flat. I wrote that both of those guys were him. But, you know, you get the point. There was an open receiver on the line of scrimmage. He probably would have picked up like three yards. Um, but, yeah. Um, there was one more throw I wanted to, oh, a Tanner Morgan throw. And it's a it's a play action play, deep crossing route. Um, maybe only two receivers in routes. Everybody just protecting. He drops back. On those throws, you're just waiting for the receiver to cross the defender. Just get in. F- as soon as as soon as you know, if there's a a zone defender in the middle and there's a receiver crossing in front of him, as soon as the receiver is dead in front of that defender, you're good to throw the ball. Because the receiver is going to win that race because he's starting from a running position versus a standing position. So you're just waiting for him to cross the defender's face. And you see him, like, it's three, four steps before the receiver gets to the defender. And and you see Tanner just drop back. There's just a little hitch there. He bounces a little bit. He's timing up his footwork. So as soon as he crosses, just bang. Delivers a great ball. It's a big play. And you just see that and think like that poise in the pocket, the understanding of where the receiver is going to be, the patience to not panic. Again, it's easier to not panic when you have that offensive line versus what Brennan was working with. And then to, to time things up with the footwork and hit it, that was just a veteran play. And it was impressive. And it stands out in a game like this when you're, you're paying attention to these quarterbacks. Um, yeah, I think that's most of it. There, I mean, there was a nice throw to Brendan, a little play-action comeback down the sideline, hits him there. Um, oh, I didn't bring up the fumble. The fumble is, I, I wrote in the story that, that accompanies this, which you should read, um, Brendan Brendan's fumble was kind of the turning point. It was a first down near midfield. Um, just runs up the middle, gets the ball knocked out. Again, like when you're asking the quarterback to run the ball this many times, it feels like it's, you're going to get a fumble, right? Like it's going to happen eventually. Still got to hold the ball, got to protect the ball. Um, oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, that what that did set up the touchdown to go up 20-0. to zero. I mean, that, that kind of ended it. I think that's the only other play we got to talk about. But, yeah. Um, I feel like that does it. I feel like I've hit most of the uh, the big points here, right? You know, the things need to be better. The the offense it, it became very real in this game, just what they were, and uh, it's disappointing. And uh, yeah, Buffs are one and two. We'll uh, get to the next game when we get there. Uh, appreciate you all for listening. That's that is ASU, right? It's got to be ASU. It's got to be ASU. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. We'll talk about that in a couple days. I'll be back talking about something tomorrow. We'll see what that is. I'm sure it'll be fun though. So see you then.